Abba Yahweh, again, you bring me to a new day, breath in my lungs, raise me from slumber, to be about your business, Father God, to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom to any who would have an ear to hear the words, but listen to the truth and seek your face, seek your truth, knowledge, and wisdom in your word, Father God. Abba Yahweh, Amma. So we all know that I talk about things that are coming and looking around and seeing all this stuff. And, and again, I'm gonna, I know that there are those out there that are, even amongst the body of the church are the doom and gloomers and naysayers. But here's, hear me when I speak this, that when I talk about things that are coming in this day, when you look around, it's truth and it's not a, it's an objective truth. It's not a subjective truth. So your truth is different than my truth or what I see is a perception of paying attention to what's going on. And there are those that are going to try to bend it and they are trotting with blinders. That's okay. Just be very careful. I pray for you daily. And these things I know are coming because they're prophesied in the word by John was given these visions by Jesus when he was visited on the island of Patmos to give heed. And these things are not as those that would say, oh, it's so doom and gloom and so dark. No, it's to give you warning, heedance, to pay attention to what's coming and what's going. And isn't it better that the Holy Spirit give us these things so that we know ahead of time and that you know that there's a detour coming in the road, that it isn't just this straight walk and there are bends and things that are going to happen? I like the idea, and especially after spending as many years as I did, driving the 18-wheelers and going coast to coast and border to border. I like the idea of knowing the road and sometimes not knowing it until you get to it. But this is what we have to do, brothers and sisters. You have to follow the path. The road atlas, for many of us, and I keep it sitting on my desk, and I utilize the Bible I've shared with you. I like... I like turning the pages. I use both directions, but I like to turn the pages. I like to touch them. It gives me a closer sense. Electronic, it's a good tool. It's an okay tool, but the reality, and I've shared with you too, when things have come to a point where it's really kind of hard and difficult, I put my face right into the Bible and till I can go no more right to the spine. And then I just close the Bible. I just close it. And then what I see is God standing in front of me and holding my face in his hands and looking me in the eye, much like my earthly mother and father used to do, and telling me, it's going to be okay. I love you. I've got you. I've got you.
God always is there. And this is, and this is why I like the paper Bible. It's my preference. As there are things that many choose to declare as a preference. Well, hmm. And that's okay, but you have to be cautious sometimes when you do that. I have um, I have a family member right now, and I'm just I pray firmly because um, it seems I don't I don't know quite a distance away, but it seems to be I I have to pray about it, and I'm I'm sharing this because I'm I'm hoping that some of you will do. Pray for her, um, pray about it, and also pay attention so that you're not doing the same. You have to be very careful about individuals out there that are claiming to be one thing. And when you when you follow and claiming that the individual is doing so much right than, than many Christians, and, and that's true, except that there are those that are... Um, label heads and and self-proclaimed Christians that they call themselves that, but they're really not. And it's um, more of a game of physicality with them that they can be seen, but a lot of times they're not very good at it. And that there are individuals that do really good things, but you also have to be very careful. And so when you start to worship that person, over God and you start to believe in that person over God and you're not talking to God, you're not praying to God, you're not following God's edicts or his tenets and your claim for this person, you're following falling prey to the devil. And that is the truth. So be cautious in that. And there are individuals that are very much like that. But if you listen to them talk personally and privately and they're not making a production or they're not making a show about something, you'll find that they're a very, it's a very dangerous place. Very dark place, very dangerous. Um, So just be careful because there are there are individuals that claim that thing. And what I've what I've tried to express to you and get you to understand is that John writes about this and he tells us that we are to try the spirit in all things. And if the spirit of God does not tell you that it's okay, then you know that that is not a place that you want to be. That is not a person you want to be around. It's not something that you want to follow. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is to guide us and keep us and protect us and keep us on the on the roadway. And there are detours that will come and detours that we will need to take because the Holy Spirit is saying that the regular path is not good. And pay attention. And I like the song, Contemporary Young Artist. You have to have faith that the detour is the road. And reading from my mentor, one of my mentors, and he shared something from 
a writer that he he enjoys, he shares with. And you have to understand that these things, it's taken place with all of us. When you have um, things that will grow to become better over a period of time, um, you didn't quite understand what was happening at the first. And the Holy Spirit takes us into things like this. It wasn't what you first expected. And you had ideas and you had this and you had that. You, and you were trying to figure out things are going out. And then as time progressed and you held on and you found that you were being brought into this very nice lighted area, you were... And the best description I guess I can give is that you're following a path and you're in a darkened forest. And then before you know it, you look up and you realize, oh, goodness. And you're coming into this open, beautiful glade. It's bright. It's sunny. It's cheery. It's beautiful. The flowers are in there and the, and the trees along the edge are in bloom. And it's not so dark. You have to have faith that the Holy Spirit knows. Faith in believing that God knows. God goes before all things. And this is something that we have a very hard time dealing with. And, and I share with you that I have done this and going into some things that are happening. I'm trying to, so bent on trying to figure it out myself. And so bent on trying to have the circumstances so I understand it and I can fix it and I can this. It doesn't work. It really, really doesn't work. I've shared with you and already trying to figure out this circumstances or portion of the circumstance that I was in here now. Um, God brought me up here, but um, then I got, then I got stupid. Um, God's not going to leave me someplace and forsake me here. He didn't bring me in to, to have me involved in these things that were going on. I mean, circumstances that were taking place in and around my life were happening. That didn't stop. None of that stopped. But also not paying attention to it was foolish. And... Praying about it, you can't hold on at the same time you're praying. You have to let go. You have to open your hands up and let go of that thing that you're holding on to. I've shared it with you that I was foolishly praying about it, but then at the same time I was contemplating what was going to happen and not liking the things that were building up in my mind and, and the outlook was very bleak. And it was very dark and very glum. And it was like walking on that darkened path through the forest. And quite honestly, had ignored. Yeah, I'm going to use that word because it's true. Ignored the fact that the Lord was beside me. The Lord was still guiding me. And the Lord had not walked away and left me there. That's forsaking. He didn't bring me into the midst of something and then go to walk away. 
But I was holding on to all that darkness and all that bleak white noise interference that was being poured in and I was listening to it. And trying to mathematically figure out, calculate, and this and that and the other thing. And then the Holy Spirit woke me up. Uh, I don't even remember what time it was. It was still dark outside. Brought me over to my desk and sat down. And just it was just as if a um, kind of robotic sense, actually, because I was doing it, just pulled the same figures and the same notes and all these things over and sat down, except that things were illuminated. I was enlightened and the Holy Spirit was guiding me through the same thing that I was doing on my own, trying to figure out on my own. And so becoming sinking in despair to this stuff and was so distraught and so concerned about this stuff. And then the reality and my, it's as if the scales fell off my eyes and I looked and it was the same thing that I'd been doing except the Holy Spirit was guiding my hands and my thoughts and going through this and I'm like, oh my gosh. Thank you, Father. Thank you and forgive me for being a dunderhead of a child. Forgive me, Father, and thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And still thinking and think and thank him for it because the reality is that everything that I was so concerned about was not even a reality. But this is, see, this is the ploy that Satan loves to use. And actually you can see it in, in Psalms. I share this with you, is that much of uh, the activity and things that are going on with David, not only were they actual physical things, um, but they were images. And there's a difference. And much of what we see or what we parlay into a sense of reality is an image. Because that's what Satan wants you to buy into. He wants you to believe and see that you have no place to go. But the problem is that we have every place to go. And every place we have where the Holy Spirit takes us into light, takes you into brightness, takes you away from the shadows, takes you away from the pain. And the, and, and the word shares with us, there might be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning with God's grace and his mercy. And that's the truth. Everything that we get caught up in and we start believing, and Satan loves to do this. He loves to, he loves to get you to practice this. They're lies. Remember, Satan is the prince of this world. And this is his allowed dominion for a time, but only here. And he likes to try to make things as crosswise and as difficult for a true believer as he possibly can. And that's this reality. And the truth and that reality is also talked about in the Bible. We are told that it will not be 
a perfect, absolute walk and that we are going to be exempt from everything that goes on because this is a broken place, a broken world because we, and I say that we because we as man or mammon, we have chosen to turn away from God. And I did that. I mean, come on, brothers and sisters, I shared this with you. If I had been walking with God as I should have been, I would still be with a family. And the thing of it is, though, is not to look back on that regret, remorse, and then you become resentful. And I don't have that. I rebuke that because that's what the devil wants me to have. However, I looked back and repented, was corrected, and I walked closer to God and my walk with God is so much closer. And the forgiveness and the love that I've felt and been given and shared, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing and it is a real thing. Brothers and sisters, it's not a perfect walk and the Bible tells us it's not gonna be. Jesus himself talking to the disciples and he tells us that there will be tribulation. There will be dark times, but have faith and walk. For we walk in faith and not by sight. Paul writes that. Jesus tells us we must walk in faith. Believe that he is the only begotten son, that he came here on this plane of existence that we are in for our sake. I know, I firmly believe that he came for me. He was thinking about me before he got here. I believe that. Do you believe it? Do you know? Do you know the God in Jesus that we are meant to know or do you just know of him or do you know him? See, there's a difference in this and this is some of what my mentor is talking about here is that we... We can know him better. And I'm going to share this with you. I'm, I'm doing this personally because I asked God to pull me out in deeper water. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but um, there's a schooling and I want it's offered through my church, his church that I attend, that I go to. And it's a class. I haven't been in a class setting for a long time, but I prayed about it and he's made way for this to happen. And yeah, there's tuition and things are with everything that's going on around. But the thing of it is that I prayed to God that if this is something he would like me to do and I want to be out in deep water, I don't want to flounder around on the beach. I don't like that. I like to swim. So he'll make it happen. Already did. And then there's a little mission trip. So this is this is going to be sort of a new thing. I think, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because I don't need to know because I have faith in God. And I know that the Holy Spirit will guide my steps. So I don't need to know all the ins, outs, and particulars of what's going on. I don't need to. 
I signed a blank contract with my Lord, my God, my heavenly father, the maker of all things made, and that's okay. I don't need to have the chapter and verse of the contract and be told that the therefores and thus is in the party, the first part of the party, the second part agrees to the party, the first part with that party and this party and that party. And yippee-ki-yay, I don't, I don't need that. That's something that man and mammon has decided that they need to have in order to make an agreement. And then they look for ways to break it. They look for clauses that are giving them an opportunity and out. giving them an out. And they do that constantly. You see it all the time. Why are you making a contract or an agreement with somebody if you're just looking for a way to break it? And I don't want any way, shape, or form or idea that that goes, I sign that contract and I'm going to do what God, my heavenly father, has me to do. I am about my father's business because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm sharing his truth and his knowledge and his wisdom, and that's it, period. And as I've shared with you the last few times already, and it still continues, it's not changing out there. And when I say out there, the difference is that walk as opposed to the walk that I have signed agreement to be in. And that's about my father's business and not about the business of the world lies and deceptions and this truth is different from your truth so here and then we have this little gray area and it's okay to walk in that um you know because it's not exactly not being a christian it's not exactly being holy in the world um but you go here and it's okay because every once in a while you tell a little white lie and that's okay no it's not okay because the bible says that a lie is an abomination to god and he or she who speaks the truth is a glory to god period, exclamation point, dot, 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 semicolon, however you want to grammatically impact. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth and a lie is a lie, period. There is no bending. There is no dark. There is no such thing as a little white lie. A little white lie is still a lie. I've tried to give you an illustrative difference, an analogy, metaphorically speaking, going several different ways. So you have a man married to a woman as it's supposed to be, or a woman married to a man as it's supposed to be, and they both tell a little white lie to save their spouses or their partner that they're not married yet, but they don't want to tell them a whole truth about the outfit that they have makes them look like a clown or a big top circus tent. They want to spare their feelings, so they tell a little white lie. And then the problem is that when they get out in public and they get around their friends who always tell them the truth, and ever since grade school, for as long as they have known these individuals, those people have always told the truth to them. They have always told them the truth. Nothing has ever wavered with them. They've always told the truth. And so when all the girls get together, why do women do this? I, I'm just kind of curious. I don't know. I just decided to throw that out there. Sorry. But, you know, women, they go collectively to the power room. So if you're out at a dinner date or something, you have a whole bunch of folks that you've met there and one of the... Ladies will get up to go to the restroom. 
before you know it, you look around the table and all the others have picked up and they've gone to the restroom with the one that started it. I've just always been curious about that. Guys tend not to do that. As long as I've been around, I have, I have not seen guys do that. So I, I don't know. I'm just curious. Sorry. Didn't mean to sidetrack. Anyway, but so these friends have now followed her into the bathroom and she's all happy and la-da-da-da and they're all sitting there and they're doing their, their makeup and talking and chattering thing, whatever they're doing. I don't know because I don't go into a woman's bathroom because a woman's bathroom is for women and not those that claim to be anything other than women. And even for those that are saying that they are, if you're not biologically a woman, you don't belong in there, period. Sorry, that's just, no, I'm not sorry. That's the truth. Anyway, into the women's restroom, they all go. And they're talking, chattering, and all of a sudden, you know, and she's happy, happy, happy. And then she says, so, you like this? And, you know, starts kind of doing a little fashion turn because it's new. And that dinner date is the first time she's ever worn it. But now you have five women standing opposing her. They're all facing her. And they're kind of looking at each other and looking at her. And then they decide that one of them is going to be the spokesperson for all of them because they don't want her to pull the sink off the wall and throw it at them. She can just throw it at her. So the spokesperson says, you know that we love you, but that dress makes you look like a circus big top tent. It's not flattering. It's not pretty. And they talk to her for a moment and tell her the truth. And now she starts to cry. And then they're all apologetic and she's telling them that it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, I'm not mad at you, da-da-da-da. But she goes out and they can tell that she's angry. Well, guess who's going to get the anger issue? She comes back to the table, grabs her purse from the chair, and hubby, who is sitting there all smiles, you know, and thing, and all of a sudden looks up and she's heading for the door without him. And he drove. Oh, now he's got to go. Hey, guys, I, I been, something's wrong. I got to find out. And then outside and she's kind of stiffing up and, you know, it's one of those things. She's like, how could you? How could you? You lied to me. What, what, what did I do? And then, then, then it all kind of comes rushing out, pouring out. And then he tries to confess to her that he didn't want to hurt her feelings. Well, would it have been better for you to tell her the truth at home and spare her the agony, which trust me in this, it is agonizing to bring her out in public like that. And have her friends who always told her the truth since grade school and make a public display in a restaurant because you kept standing around looking at your watch the whole time she was getting ready to go. And then you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, it looks nice. It, it, it's very flattering. You look good. You look good. But you lied to her. You told her a little white lie to spare her feelings. 
And she in turn shared with you that that suit, that new suit that you bought for the occasion, has got a handsome cut that makes you look suave and debonair. But then while they were in the powder room and telling her the truth, your buddies were sitting at the table and telling you the truth. And the truth that they shared with you about that suit that you bought and were told that it was so debonair and made you look suave actually made you look like some kind of a cheap slouch. Oof, and you were going to wear that to the big board meeting at the company for your assumed promotional speech. But they told you and got you to understand and they explained the different cuts on it that it made you look like a bum. Made you look like something you weren't and you never had been. But they told you the truth. So now, now you got your elephant gun loaded and I only use that description, not anything to do with her appearance, but because it's a great big, usually a double barrel, looks almost like a shotgun, but it shoots a great big bullet. Now you're loaded and you're ready to let her have it because she lied to you. She told you a lie to spare your feelings and not hurt your feelings because you just went out and spent a ton of money to look nice for a special occasion, two special occasions. It, special anniversary dinner that you were supposed to be out enjoying together, but because you lied to her and she lied to you, it turned into a fiasco. Instead of just telling the truth. Sweetheart, that dress makes you, it's not flattering. It makes you look much bigger than, than you naturally. It makes you look different than you naturally do. It's not a flattering dress. It's not a flattering pattern. Wear something else and we'll we'll get you something special. We'll 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 go together. We can go together and get you something special. Pretty colors, but it just it's not right. You know what? That suit makes you look really slouchy. It's not a good cut. We should go maybe we'll go together to the tailor and we'll get you something really nice for this new promotion that you're expecting. But that suit just doesn't look good. So you walk out in truth and everybody's happy. She didn't spend a bunch, a ton of money on a dress that was inappropriate and you didn't spend, and you're gonna take that suit back and get your money back for it because it wasn't a special tailor made. You bought it off the rack. Maybe that was a problem, I don't know. But you go back and you talk to the tailor Maybe that shop convinced you to get a ready cut or one that had already been done for somebody else and convinced you to buy it. Who knows what happened? But the point that I'm making is that the individuals, they lied to one another in order to spare the other one's feelings. My father told me that truth is always best. It may hurt and sting for just a minute, but if you're truthful, you will see, and just like I was sharing a moment ago, is that this walk that you're on, it might be a little bit dark and gloomy if you're underneath the trees and the sun. You haven't seen the sun for 
some hours because and then you open up out into this glade and it's beautiful it's open it's flowers it's sunshine and it's just a gorgeous gorgeous day i used to backpack a lot when i was younger scouts and and just my earthly father and i we went on some trips that was beautiful as you're walking it's not so not so so but then you get these spots and they're just, uh, it's gorgeous. I mean, this is a walk that we're on, brothers and sisters, in, in life and reality. And you have those bystanders. My mentor was pointing this stuff out. And there are those who claim to be Christians that are like these bystanders. They, they, they may know some things or know about some things. But because they're bystanders, they're not taking part, they don't know the ins and outs, and they don't know because they're not walking the walk. They talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk. And there are, and that's an old saying, actually, from many, many, many decades ago when I was a younger man. Yeah, well, you can't just talk the talk. You got to walk the walk. And there are those that are label heads, self-proclaimed Christians that they, or they're, um, as I've shared with you before, the slothful, lazy individuals that they won't get out and do anything. And they go to church once a quarter for a special occasion. Um, or maybe they only go on Easter Sunday and they only go for Christmas Eve a special and that's the only time they go to church, twice a year, and the spouse tries to get them to go. And it's either either or, it doesn't matter, man, wife or a husband. Because there are many women that don't, everyone thinks and assumes that the woman is always the one that wants to go to church. Well, it's not that way. Women get attitudes, just like men get attitudes. And they feel like they don't have to go to church or they're too tired because of the work week. And that's their claim. And then they become soft and lazy. They don't, they don't even read the Bible. They don't pick the Bible up to study the Bible, to study his word, to seek his face, to seek his truth, to seek his knowledge, to seek his wisdom. They don't look for it. They just try to figure out everything on their own. And that's what these individuals do. It's like, um, I got this image in, in reading. <laughs> um, I don't know if many out there are familiar with the French Quarter or New Orleans when they have um, you've heard of Mardi Gras and there's areas and down in the French Quarter it's actually I like the French Quarter it's a beautiful old place but almost everyone everywhere in there there's balconies that line and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, bed and breakfasts. There's a lot of hotels and uh, down along many of the streets. And the upper levels are balconies all the way down the length of the building, and they will run down almost the entire street. And a lot of times, there's individuals that will be sitting along there, and they're just watching the parade go by. They're not experiencing the reality of what's going on 
and truth down below, but they're watching it. They have knowledge of it. They're aware, but they don't know really about it. They just heard about Mardi Gras. And now they go up and they think they know Mardi Gras because they go and they sit up there on the balcony. They didn't, they were not down. They haven't taken place and they just heard about it. Now they know of it, but they don't know it. And there are many Christians that are actually doing that very same thing in their supposed or alleged knowledge of God. The importance is that we not only know about God, but we know God. And here's the thing that many don't know, and even those that claim to be Christian don't know. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Pardon me. I sneeze, snuck up. That... God desires to have a personal relationship with us. He is our heavenly father. He is our good. And like any good father, he wants to have a personal relationship with his children. And so many think that they know God because what they've read about in the Bible, but they haven't really studied the Bible. They haven't studied his word and they haven't found the scripture that says that he wants to have a personal relationship with us. And what they know of the Bible is what they were told when they were growing up. Well, you know that uh, that's why Jesus came because God so loved the world and he came down here and, and died. And then he taught the disciples and he walked with them and he stayed down here for a few years and then they put him on a cross and crucified. And that's what they know about God. That's what they know about Jesus, what they were told in Sunday school lessons. But do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, who, as was shared in Luke, and I read Luke 1, and remember this, that Luke was not only a physician, but he was a disciple. So when he wrote about things, he wrote in a detailed orientation because of his observance was that way, Matthew was very detail-oriented. And when he wrote, he wrote that way. And Luke was writing about Elizabeth and Mary. And I'm going to flip it back over here to uh, Luke 1, actually, is where we find this revelation sharing. And it talks about Mary and it talks about Elizabeth and it talks about the disciples and it talks about the birth of John. And here's the thing too that, that's interesting that, that I found absolutely a fascination going back to one and actually a proven point is that John the baptizer knew of Jesus, but he didn't know his cousin. He knew 
he knew of Jesus and he knew what Jesus was about. But until John the baptizer saw the Holy Spirit descending on him, until that time, he didn't know Jesus. He knew of Jesus and he knew about Jesus and he knew what he had been told. But John the baptizer, when Jesus came to the river and it was revealed to his cousin who he indeed was or is, who he indeed is, the only begotten son of God, my son in whom I am well pleased, as was the voice that came from the bright light that descended and the Holy Spirit came and descended. Then John's revelation and he knew Jesus and then he was more emphatic about spreading the word and the truth. And of course, we know the rest of the story about John was, of course, John. And Jesus tried to warn him about Herod, but Jesus already knew Herod and how vile and disgusting he was, that he was chasing after his brother's wife and he was chasing after his stepdaughter because he was a... Ugh, he was a sexual deviant. And he was a disgusting man. And because the young girl did a hoochie-coochie dance for him, and then by her mother's declaration, because John the baptizer had said some things that were not very kind about her, so she was angry, and in her anger, she told the daughter to tell Herod that she wanted the head of John the Baptist. You know, the sad, pathetic thing about that, and it, that goes on today. <laughs> it goes on today, these so-called open relationships are going. But back in that day, the woman that Herod was married to was the mother of this girl that Herod had the hots for. And her mother told them that she wanted the head of John the Baptist and that she was going to convince Herod to do that because she was mad at him. So Herod had John the Baptist beheaded, delivered the head in a covered silver platter, which was brought out and presented to the girl who of course called her mother up and it was really for her anyway. But the point being is that John didn't know Jesus until that point in time when the Holy Spirit came down on him and John the Baptist witnessed it and actually took part in it. And that point is actually took part in it. So if we want to know about God, we need to seek God. We need to seek his face, seek his truth, his knowledge and his wisdom, which is in the word of God. And we need to seek that thing. We need to seek that thing, that truth, knowledge, and wisdom, and that good word, that gospel, the good news of God the Father from front cover to back cover, the gospel 
according to the word of God, his truth, the infallible truth that we find in God's word, the empirical evidence that is in the life as you go stepping outward with a faith in God and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. Then you become like those people on the ground at Mardi Gras, you're knowing and you have information because you're taking part in. I know the empirical evidence that I see in my life that I've walked with God and I look back and I see these times that God has indeed carried me like the footprints in the sand lithograph. I've stared that up many times with you when you look back and you see one set of footprints and then you whine and cry to God and say, hey, where'd you go? I only saw one set of prints there, I Father, and then he just, he takes your hand, your face in his hands, like I'm sure he does, and he looks you right in the eye and he gives you this big fatherly loving grin before he pulls you in and gives you a big old godly bear hug and squeezes you until you feel like your joints are gonna explode. And he says, I love you. That's when I was carrying you. That's when things got really hard and I carried you in my arms, holding you close to my heart and protecting you and covering you so that you were not harmed from any of those things that were coming. That's when I was carrying you. In the darkest, deepest part of the woods, I carried you. That's why you only see one set of footprints. And that, my brothers and sisters, I know is a fact. And you will not be able to argue that away from me because I won't let it go. The empirical evidence is too, too evident. What's that mean, empirical evidence? That means evidence that cannot be disproved and there is no way that you can argue it away because I have seen the evidence. I have seen the Lord. I have walked with the Lord and he has shown me things that has allowed me to talk about. He has allowed me to share. He has allowed me to go through and am with him. Why am I going through what I'm going through? It doesn't matter. I signed a contract with him and it's blank. I don't need the chapter and verse of the contract. And then you have individuals who, man, I would never do that. Well, yeah, you wouldn't buy a house that way. You wouldn't buy a car that way. But we're talking about God Almighty, the maker of all things made. Always tells the truth. And his way is my way, period. Exclamation point, dot, dot, dot. I don't need to have a chapter and verse contract with God. I don't need to have some attorney trying to find and wiggle some way out. See, this is, this is what the devil tries to parlay into that white noise in our mind's eye. Some way to get out of that contract. Well, there's, if you're honest and truthful, you wouldn't try to do that anyway, but there are those that just wanna walk away. This is that thing that has been testified to in the book of Revelation by John. And actually Jesus talked about it. It's called the apostasy a great falling away and that there will be a deception that takes place. Even those that claim to be 
and take that little label tape and they put the word Christian on it and they slap it on their forehead so that people will be able to see that. But rather than displaying the truth, they display that little label. And they do that because the reality of it is that their actions and things that they portray are not evident of being a Christian. So they put that label on. It's just like, hmm. I like and have enjoyed, and when I was younger, I haven't so much now, and it's also not wrong. So don't go trying to sit back in a corner and point your finger and, oh. But wine. And really good wines. And if you, they have a label on them. And that label is so you can read and see because the bottles are all very similar when you have them on a shelf. And the labels are there so that if you have a collector or you have someone who enjoys wine and has studied and read and is knowledgeable of different vintners, and they will know and learn about the wine. And that's what those labels are for. And sometimes you have vintners that are very good and prominent and are known, and people know not just from the label, but they know the vintner, they're familiar with the vintner, and they're familiar with the person who is actually making the blends, and they know, they have real knowledge of this, not just by the label, and some people collect simply by a label because they've heard of it, but then the more they collect and the more they get into it, the more knowledge they, they obtain and the more they learn So why do I share that with you? I share that with you because our Father God is like the very best, absolute, most magnificent, full-bodied, full-flavored, most magnificent wine that you could ever sip when you sit down and you have supper. When you sit down and you have interpersonal relationship at the table. Brothers and sisters, you're not gonna have any real knowledge unless you take part, unless you get into the word and you study the word, you seek the truth, you seek his knowledge and you seek his wisdom which is available. But not just reading about the attributes that God shares and all those things. He isn't good because that's the right thing to do. He's good because he is our good, good father. God is love. John writes about that in a number of places. He doesn't talk about God being loving and Jesus being loving. And there's a difference. It says that God is love and Jesus is love. And that love that we have that is within us comes from our Father. 
and that we are to walk that, we are to talk that. And that we can grow in that knowledge and grow in the attributes of God, there, there's a possible growth there. And the thing of it is that in order to know God, in order to be with God and to, to have those attributes in our life, we have to experience God in our life. But if you're busy up there on Fat Tuesday Mardi Gras and you're one of those balcony label head self-proclaimed Christians that sit up there on the balcony and you don't take part in the walk, all you're going to do is talk the talk because you've never walked the walk. You have no idea. You have no real knowledge. And then when you get into a position and somebody asks you a question, a specific question, and you sit there and you mumble and stutter because you don't know how to get the answer. You don't know how to shoot a bullet prayer to the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit and ask for guidance and bring you a word. You can't do that. You can't speak a prophetic word over anybody because you don't know how to do that. And you can't speak the truth so you make something up to make yourself not look so foolish. And that isn't even any good because that's contrary to the tenets of God. A lie is a lie, period. Even the little white lie to spare feelings or to spare your failing to be able to talk the truth, to speak the truth, to speak with knowledge and speak with wisdom. So what do you do? You have no wisdom because you didn't look for any. You didn't seek it. So then you only speak with foolish knowledge because you have no wisdom. And you don't even have truth because you're so busy sitting back and not walking the walk sharing the time, getting experience, and knowing God. And here's the thing that we really, really have to know and understand. Is that we are ambassadors. Ambassadors for our kingdom. And our kingdom is a kingdom of heaven. We are ambassadors to share that truth and knowledge of heaven so that everyone will have an opportunity to repent and take part in that kingdom. And a good ambassador knows about their home. Any good ambassador that is out there wandering around knows truth about their home. They are, mm, let's use the word recruiting for people that would like to move to where they want to be, move to their country because of things that are there. And your ambassador is going to share those things because they have knowledge of them. Oh, 
goodness gracious. The Holy Spirit just delivered me to another place. I had a, a marker, and quite honestly, I had forgotten why I put that marker up there, but the Holy Spirit had me mark it in there and put it here for a reason. <sighs> wow. Thank you, Father. Luke 7. And this is, this is really, really powerful. And powerful because Jesus expressed the power in it. And he expressed also a bit of disdain in the same time. That in Luke chapter 7, we're talking, and, and people might be familiar with the story, have heard about it. But there was a centurion that came to Jesus because he knew that if Jesus just spoke the word. But he was afraid for Jesus to come with him because he was a man of authority as Jesus was under authority and he understood Jesus' authority. He understood Jesus better than many of the disciples knew Jesus from observation. But he believed that Jesus could heal, could heal his servant's child. And he believed that to be done and that Jesus could do it. And the centurion told Jesus in Luke 7, 8, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and go to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So told the nation and the people that were there that this centurion, who is a Roman centurion, over a hundred men, that's what the word centurion means, century 100. And a centurion in the Roman army plus or minus a few scattered soldiers, was over 100 men. And he did have authority. And he came to Jesus knowing that Jesus would be able to heal the servant. The, the servant, as I shared with you before, is, is different than, than what everyone has their idea of. Back in those days, those individuals actually lived with the person. They were not in change and they didn't get locked up at night. They, they had a house. They had an allowance. They were paid. It was... Basically like um, an employee, more of an employee, but then they called them that because they were under the authority of that person. But Jesus declared that because this person came to know Jesus. And then here we have in Luke 7 and 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized in him. What does that mean? That means that they believed what they decided they knew. And they didn't know for a fact, just what they decided they knew. But wisdom is justified of all of her children. What does that mean? That means if you have true wisdom, you will be able to display it and people will know it. 
Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers daily going out and coming in.